Hey, welcome to a very special Q&A episode of the Beginner Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Hadfield, and today, well, I'm very excited for today's episode because, uh, well, it is only made possible with your help. You know, Q&As are a uh, two-way street. You know, you have photography questions, let me answer them for you. Now, you may have heard me mention this over the past few weeks that you can now leave the show a voicemail. So whether you want to share with me, you know, your biggest takeaway from an episode, whether you want to let me know that you've been enjoying the show, or whether you want to ask a question about photography that has just been driving you crazy, you can now do that with a voicemail. So very cool stuff. Um, and, um, well... To be honest, I was going to share this, uh, wait for the end of the episode, but, uh, oops, pow, surprise. I am going to be making these Q&A episodes, uh, a regular thing going forward. So once a month, I'm going to compile all of the, uh, voicemails and emails of questions that I get, um, you know, from you and voicemails are going to get priority, of course, uh, my goal is to get you the photography answers uh, and, you know, some clarity on whatever it is that you are struggling with. So if you are interested, if you want to take part in this to leave a voicemail, all you got to do is, uh, you know, get your photo question answered is just head to the contact page at beginnerphotographypodcast.com uh, where, you know, uh, you can uh, you can even do it from your phone. You can do it from your computer. There is there is nothing to download. You know, there's nothing to put on to your phone or your computer. Nothing like that. Um, you're just going to see a little box. There's a microphone on it. You click that microphone button. You just record your question again from your computer or your phone, which is super convenient. Um, and then you know you can then uh, even listen to it before sending it to me. And these voicemails are super easy to do. And I encourage you just to try it out. You know, I really want you to make this a part of of your podcast experience. You know, I want the podcast to be more about taking action, right? Less consuming, uh, but more engaging and uh, deeper learning. And um, also, after putting together the uh, uh, the all of the Q&A uh, voicemails that I got, um, ladies, you make up more than half of the listeners of the Beginner Photography Podcast. Make sure to represent yourself by asking your questions. Don't let this turn into a, uh, you know, He-Man woman haters club, uh, you know, from, um, uh, little rascals. You know, your questions are valid. And if you are wondering about something, I promise you others are too. So again, ladies, feel free to ask your questions. Now, this is going to be fun, right? I love hearing your questions and I love being able to help. So with that, let's go ahead and just jump on into the very first question. Uh, and this is the first person to use the fun new voicemail feature to, uh, to ask a question. So let's hear uh, from Shane. Uh, okay, here is uh, Shane's question. Hey, Raymond, what's up? Shane Wilkie here uh, from beautiful Sydney, Nova Scotia. Can you hear my dog in the background barking? <laughs> I guess I have to stick with this recording now. Okay, so I'm editing a couple film scans here that I just got back. So I thought I'd ask you a question about film photography. My dog's still going, oh my God. Anyways, in your experience with photography, what particularly did you learn from shooting film that you maybe wouldn't have learned otherwise. This was a mess, but I'm not redoing this because my dog barking in the background was too funny. All right. Cheers. 
<laughs> Shane, that was awesome. Uh, and as somebody who also just, well, I don't know if you just got your dog, but as somebody who just got a dog uh, for our family, I totally understand how unpredictable they can be. And uh, yeah, that was that was great. So uh, on to your question, right? Uh, I think at its core, you know, what did I learn from uh, film photography that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise? Great question. So I would say that my level of uh, shooting film, first of all, it was not professional, right? So it was all just kind of personal um, film photography, right? So uh, my workflow, uh, even, you know, when it was more than just a point shoot, but it was an actual SLR, was shoot, develop, done. <laughs> you know, I mean, I might uh, might take a, a few small tweaks to the scans, something like exposure, shadows, uh, but that's really it, you know? Um, but I think that because of digital, there there really is this mindset that because you can do something, you should, right? You, uh, you, you should edit every single photo. You should be using a white balance card or an exposure card and have a calibrated monitor. You know, you should change the visual look of every single photo that you take or, you know, you should become a professional retoucher. And the list, it just goes on and on. But I think film taught me to, um, in a very Bob Ross way, enjoy and embrace the happy accidents, you know, try to get it right in camera um, and then just focus on the subject, focus on the moment. And then the film is going to take care of, of the rest, right? The aesthetics, but most importantly, I think film taught me, um, oh, to, uh, film taught me to commit to a decision. So for those who don't know with film, your, your white balance, your ISO or what was called, um, ASA with film, ASA, uh, is determined by what film you put into your camera. So once you make a decision and it's loaded, well, yeah, you have to take and shoot the whole 36 photos before you can make a change. You know, if, uh, if you think that you're going to be outside all day and you load up, say, uh, ISO 200 film and then you don't take as many photos during the day, but you know, the evening comes and, and you decide to take, you know, some photos. Well, you can't change your ISO. It's still going to be 200. So you better have some flash or, you know, some way to compensate for that because you can't change it until the roll is, is finished. And it is, uh, you know, I think that committing to to a decision is just a much, much simpler way of life for a photographer, you know. And, you know, what, what I love about the film photos that I've seen uh, from you, Shane, is since since you learned photography on digital, you, you're still taking the same photos, right? Um, your style doesn't change just because the camera that you pick up. But I think because you have to now slow down and make those decisions before you take the photo with film, I think that your work uh, has become much more visually defined. So honestly, I would love to know, you know, what it was that, that you have taken away from shooting film after you know, digital, because on paper, digital just sounds way better and more convenient. Um, but you're really leaning into to film and it is uh, it's awesome to see. So I would love to hear that. 
Uh, so yeah, Shane, that was, uh, that was an awesome question, man. Thank you so much. This uh, voicemail thing is fun, but now we are going to go uh, to a, an email that I got from Misty. Now, Misty says, uh, she says, I think I am ready to begin a photo project. What are some good ideas for a first photo project? Yeah. So Misty, the, you know, the beginning of the year is, uh, is a popular time to start a photo project. So I think that this is a great question for you, um, or from you. But unfortunately, I can't, I can't answer that question, uh, for several reasons. One of them is that I don't know what interests you, right? I think when it comes to, uh, doing some sort of, uh, photo project, it's really important to do something that is going to interest you because a photo project is more than just, you know, one, one hour portrait session. It's more than just, you know, a wedding day or a newborn session or something like that where there's a defined start and end date. Photo projects can literally go on for years. They can go on for a lifetime if you wanted it to. Um, and, to be able to have that stamina and to have that staying power, it's going to be really important for you to uh, be shooting something that is important to you, you know? And because I don't know what is important to you, it's hard for me to answer that question. But I will say um, it a photo project doesn't have to be as big as we think they are. I, I think back to my uh, episode with Scott Strazanti, and I feel like I brought him up a hundred thousand times, but I just feel like his photo project was so cool, right? And this guy is, uh, he does photo projects all the time, you know, whether it is documenting a, a family farm for, you know, years while it gets sold to a developer and turns into a subdivision. Amazing. Um, or what he's working on now, which is, um, photos at the beach that are more um, fine art and they're more uh, long exposure uh, and they're more abstract. There's no, there's no, uh, you know, story that's being told between frames of those images. And therefore there's no start and end date to it either. Right. You can just go out and, and do it for as long as you want, but that is really interesting him right now. That is really interesting to him right now. And that is why he keeps going out to shoot because sometimes, you know, you're going to work on a project and it is just a lot of work, whether, you know, uh, you know, here in the, in the Midwest, we have a, uh, some sort of blizzard or something coming tomorrow. Uh, so it's like, what if something important was going on tomorrow and a blizzard was coming? Like, is that thing important enough for me to go out and shoot that? If it's not, you know, maybe, maybe it's not going to have the stamina. Maybe it's not going to have the staying power uh, that a real photo project needs. Um, and I was going somewhere with that and it was, oh, right. So photo projects don't have to be as big as that though. They can be smaller. You know, one thing uh, that I've been thinking of lately is my son, uh, he is now 10 years old and he loves to rearrange his room, right? He went from uh, a loft bed to, you know, a giant desk in his uh, room to, you know, having uh, like a Lego station, like things move around quite a bit in his room. And uh, I've been trying to make a conscious effort to just take a photo every now and then of what his room looks like in the hopes that, you know, uh, 10, 15 years from now, we're able to kind of compile those photos and see that progression of maybe what he was interested in uh, at the time um, and those sorts of things. And and that's not a project. Well, I guess the end date of that project might be, you know, the day that he 
moves out. Um, but that's not something that I'm going to be shooting every day. It's not something that I'm going to be shooting maybe even every month or something that is going to require, you know, hours to photograph. It can literally be done in, in just minutes every other month, say. Um, so again, it doesn't have to be as big as, you know, you think it is. I always had ideas of like, you know, following the band on the world tour or, you know, uh, you know, watching your team go to the world series or something like that. Like that whole progression is just amazing, but it really doesn't have to be that big. But I will say that, um, to make your life easier to compile a photo project, organization is going to be everything, right? So making sure that within Lightroom or whatever you use to organize your photos, I recommend Lightroom, you have a folder of all the images that you have uh, created for that. And don't delete the photos that, that, that you don't you know, say that you take, you know, 15, 20 photos, but really you only need one photo, right? It's just a variation of one or two different photos. Don't delete the other ones because sometimes hindsight is, you know, 2020. <laughs> so what you might think is the right photo today might not be the right photo as the story develops. <clears throat> Excuse me. So like as my son maybe gets more into... I don't know, say a, a specific subject. Um, maybe his, his room will change in a, in a very specific way. Whereas today, I think that the subject is, you know, his bed and his desk. Maybe in the future, it is, uh, you know, something else. Maybe the way that he paints his walls. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that, like, don't delete those photos today because you might have better photos of what the final outcome is going to be in the future. So keep everything organized in a proper location within Lightroom um, and make sure that your photos are, of course, backed up. So, uh, Missy, Misty, I hope that that, uh, that helps. Now, next, guess what? We have another voicemail, and this one comes from Steve Sweeney. So, Steve, let's go ahead and hear this one. Uh, here we go. Hey, Raymond, this is Steve Sweeney in Wisconsin. I've got two questions for you. Um, the first is, how do I use a flash? I've got a Godox that I just got from B&H, and I like it. I can fill in, but I'm still basically on automatic TTL for my Nikon. So how do I use that flash? How do I begin practicing with the flash and doing everything that I know it can do that I just don't know? And the other thing has to do with practice. Uh, I am really not so great at portraits, but I would like to do portraits. I'd like to do families. I have a family, but they just, they don't have time to sit down when I, when I have time to sit down. And, you know, quite frankly, um, I want someone who, <laughs> who listens and the kids don't always listen. Um, I'm looking for people I can practice with. Um, I've heard about modeling websites, but they look a little sketchy to me, the one that I saw. So what do you recommend for practicing with people? Um, how to do it well, how to, how to learn. So look forward to hearing your answers. Thank you, sir. Wow, Steve, uh, great question. And one that I know that uh, many people are thinking of themselves, you know, when it comes to working with people, uh, let me tackle that one first. I would say that it really depends on what your needs are and what it is that you want to shoot. So if you want to shoot family portraits, well, you know, you're going to need more than just a model. You're going to need a family. Uh, if you want to shoot headshots, you can do it with just a single person. Um, and, you know, maybe modeling websites uh, seem to make a lot of sense for that. So I'm going to assume that you just, you know, want to photograph individual portraits again, since you mentioned modeling websites. Now, if that is the case and you don't feel comfortable going that route, 
Um, which now that I think about it, I, I know that it's obviously very, it can be very, um, sketchy, say from a model's perspective. Um, but I guess I don't really know as far as like for the photographer side, what might be super sketchy about it. But again, I've never done it. So, you know, probably, I don't know. Anyway, I will, I will continue. You know, there are, if you want to start working with somebody, but don't want to use the modeling website for whatever reason, I really think that there are uh, two ways that you can get somebody willing and excited to work with you. One is going to be, you know, just, just reach out to your, you know, local friends and family online, you know, post something uh, online, post something on Facebook or Instagram that you are looking to try out something new in photography, some, you know, new technique, and that you're looking for anybody willing to get in front of the camera and, and practice. Now, it's important to know that you should know exactly what it is that, you know, you want to practice. Um, but I would encourage you to also give them, you know, whoever signs up to work with you, uh, the edited photos to entice them to sign up. You know, right now you're not a named photographer. You know, your time uh, is just as valuable as the model because you need them to practice and they need you for photos. So, you know, giving them the, the, the edited photos, I think is, you know, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I would highly encourage it. Um, but two, the other way that you can get, um, you know, start working with models, maybe in a non sketchy way is there are a lot of photography clubs and groups on Facebook that, you know, meet up monthly or maybe even, you know, more frequently than that. And oftentimes they have models, you know, who come in and, uh, model, <laughs> you know, one month, the theme might be say working with flash, you know, and the model is going to be there uh, and let you, you know, maybe the 10 or 15 other photographers set up a light, adjust it, you know, uh, create a shot and then use them as the subject, you know, in one month, maybe the focus is posing, you know, and a, and a model is going to be able to not only help you figure out, you know, kind of guide you through how to maybe work with a model or pose them. Uh, but you'll also be able to get that practice in. So, I would suggest trying out one or even both of those, uh, those methods. Uh, but let me circle back when it, when it does come to practice, I, again, the more intentional that you can be, the better knowing exactly what it is that you want to work on is going to ensure that, you know, you can actually make progress and not just show up, hope for the best, have your mind go blank and then end up just totally wasting your time. That has happened to me before. I thought I need, you know, some photography practice early on and I'd go out and just say, let's see where, you know, the light takes me and nothing interesting happened. But if I knew that I had a goal, I want to focus on candid moments with a long focal length or something like that. Or I want to look for people who are being naturally backlit, you know, whatever it is, having one thing in mind that you want to focus on, uh, that is going to ensure the best results for you. Now, flash, right? Flash, 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 flash. My favorite. I love flash. So in my course, flash in a flash, I teach that there are just two reasons why you would want to use flash. One is for additional exposure, right? You're shooting in a low light situation. You need some extra light. You got a flash. But number two is for creativity reasons, right? Like using your flash off camera, highlighting something else, you know, another part of the scene that is going to uh, help you tell uh, a bigger story. Now, what's great about using flash in manual mode uh, outside of TTL. So TTL for uh, those listening who are unaware, TTL stands for through the lens, right? So um, 
the camera takes a meter reading of how much light is available, and then it sends that information to the flash, and then the flash determines how much light to put out, right? A lot of light, not a lot of light. So it, it's like it's like auto mode, essentially, for your flash. But shooting in manual on flash is literally a thousand times easier. Well, I don't know if it's a thousand. I bet mathematically there's... Okay, so shooting manual on flash, there's only two settings. There's power, either more or less, and zoom. And, you know, zoom, you don't really need to worry about right now, which means that all you have to do is ask yourself, do, you know, you take your photo, flash goes off, and then you ask yourself, do I want more light or do I want less light? And then you press up or down. You take the photo and then you ask yourself again, that's it, right? I strongly believe that once you take, however, your flash off camera and are able to use a remote trigger, the whole world opens up for you in terms of creativity. Uh, in fact, I have one photo that I called a $25,000 photo because in one year, because of one specific photo, I booked 10 weddings, which represented about $25,000 in revenue for me. And it was so incredibly easy. Okay. I'm going to walk you through it right now. And if you want to practice this, please do. Because once you take this photo, you're going to say to yourself, Holy cow, that was super easy. And now this is not a photo that somebody, you know, is going to be able to capture with an iPhone. This is really going to help me stand out as a photographer. Okay. So you take your subject. So in my case, it's a couple, right? You find a beautiful, you know, scenic type shot. Maybe it's in front of a venue. Maybe it's, you know, rolling, uh, you know, golf course, hill, terrain, whatever it is. Put them next to a big oak tree, whatever. The, uh, they call them, uh, you know, big landscapes, tiny people type photos. Okay. Now, without the couple in the photo, you, you slightly underexpose the scenery, the landscape photo, right? About two stops is good. You just want it to be underexposed so that nothing is, is, is overly bright and will take attention away, right? You place your couple in the photo. And then you take your flash off camera, right? You put it behind the couple, so past them, and then you have it facing them. And then you set your flash to full power and you take the photo, right? So the flash, it almost silhouettes them. It gives them like this beautiful halo effect, making them stand out against this already beautiful backdrop. It is super easy to do. It is one light, full power, done. That's it. I promise you. It is one of the easiest things you can do. It will book you, uh, you know, shoots because nobody's going to get that photo with their phone. Uh, so go ahead and, and do it. So that's how I would, I would recommend practicing, right? As simple as possible. And then just, uh, just grow from there. All right. Now, next question. We got another voicemail from Scott. Let's hear this one from Scott. How do you deal with a dynamic range? where there is something very bright and then something that is not bright, like somebody standing in a doorway, how can you get all of that at a proper exposure without doing um, multiple exposures and blending them? Thank you. Thank you. 
Hey, Raymond here. If you're sometimes baffled by which camera settings to use, then I've got just the thing for you. My free guide, Picture Perfect Camera Settings. It's a fantastic starting point for anybody eager to understand the basics of camera settings in various shooting scenarios. And it's tailored to beginners who want to get out of auto mode, providing clear, easy to follow suggestions on where to start with your settings. So whether you're capturing a stunning landscape or a family portrait, Picture Perfect Camera Settings will help you to get off of automatic mode and explore the possibilities your camera offers. Remember, mastering photography settings is a journey, and this guide is your first step. And the perfect resource to guide you towards finding the right settings for your style. So grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com and start your journey to better photos. Well, Scott, uh, thank you so much for your question. Uh, and the shorter a- answer is, you don't. Um that is why our cameras allow us to adjust exposure, right? If a camera sensor could expose for a bright sky and expose for somebody in shadow, well, there would be no reason to adjust exposure because your camera would just be able to capture it all. So when shooting and choosing your exposure, it's that's why it's so important to ask yourself, like, what is the subject of this photo? Or what am I trying to say with this photo? Let's say... You're at a, I don't know, a kid's party, okay? And you got this kid, super excited, opening up gifts, you know, and then there's a window right behind them. And outside is like the backyard or, you know, whatever. What's the subject of that photo? Is it the backyard or is it the kid opening gifts? It's the kid opening gifts. So you expose for that. And then you just don't care that, that behind him is, you know, pure white because, well, nobody wants to look outside that window. They want to look at the expression on that kid's face. Now, if the kids are, let's flip this around, maybe they're opening gifts outside, but somebody is inside looking at them out the window from inside, right? So like you as the photographer, you're inside, somebody's in front of you, they're looking out the window and out of the window are the kids opening up gifts, right? You would still expose for the kids, but this time, since they're outside, you expose for whatever's outside the window. Now... If you are trying to make a silhouette, well, then you would just do the exact opposite. You would expose for whatever's outside the doorframe or whatever's outside the window, and then you would keep your subject in shadow underexposed. And that is a totally different photo than exposing for that person. If you're exposing for that person, you know, is it because they're doing something interesting um, or... Or what? If you underexpose them and just leave them in shadow, well, now all we see is their figure, which you know, depending on what it is that they're doing, could be super powerful. So I think if we readjust the question here, right, how can I maximize my dynamic range? Well, there are a few things that we can do. You know, one, you did mention shooting multiple exposures and then blending them together in the edit, right? Uh, This could be called bracketing uh, while you're shooting and then turn that into an HDR. But that requires, HDR stands for high dynamic range. But both Uh, I'm sorry, but that requires both your camera and your subject to be perfectly still, right? No movement, because you're going to be taking multiple photos and then blending them together in Lightroom or Photoshop. So each pixel kind of has to line up, and that makes it not very practical for something like a wedding or an event. So one thing you could do, um, well, like I was just telling Scott there, use a flash, right? If, If you need more exposure, you expose for something dark, 
uh, or I mean, you expose for the brightest thing in the frame and then you use your flash to fill in the light of whatever's in the shadow, right? You could do that. Or, um, you know, if flash isn't available, you don't have flash, you're not ready to get a flash, whatever it is. Digital sensors, here's one thing that you could do. Digital sensors are able to keep a lot of light information in the shadow detail of your photos, like in the raw file, right? So one thing that you could do is underexpose your photo, perhaps to better expose for the sky, right? So that you get some blue detail in the sky. It's not pure white. And then even though in the in the photo, when you look at it in the back of your camera, your subject is going to be dark. In Lightroom, you can bring up the shadows to increase the dynamic range, right? Um, so then it looks like everything is more properly exposed. Now, th- there there is a limit for how dark, you know, how much shadow somebody is in, right? If they're pure, pure darkness, it's not going to be able to save anything. But if they're just, you know, maybe three, even four or five stops underexposed, you're probably going to be able to bring that up and be be just fine. Uh, and then again, that is just one photo. So that's why if you hear people say, you know, uh, exposed to the uh, exposed to the left, that means shoot everything underexposed. And then in editing, you got to lift lift up your shadows and post. I've used this before, like when I shoot uh, receptions. Uh, sometimes it's very dark during a reception, and I don't want to use my flash at full power to properly illuminate everything. So I'll use my flash at, say, you know, a quarter power, because then I know all I got to do is just bump up the exposure of my images by two stops to get a proper exposure for the whole photo. And, um, you know, I can I can do that pretty cl- very cleanly with a. Uh, I, I can add two additional stops of exposure very cleanly. I don't know why that word is so difficult for me or escaping me what I'm trying to say here. Uh, but I can do that within Lightroom, add those two stops of exposure, and it's not a super grainy or muddy photo. It still looks just fine. So that's a trick that I use. Um, but again, I, I, you know, I will say that in looking at some of, you know, uh, some of the most powerful photos over the past, you know, 100, 150 years, a powerful moment, you know, a strong photo, they often use light and shadow to enhance the story. Very rarely are these, you know, iconic images properly exposed throughout the entire photo. They use light, they use shadow, again, to enhance that story. And sometimes it is, you know, what you don't show or what you don't see that really makes a photo. So, you know, Scott, I really hope that, uh, I really hope that helps. And, uh, yeah, if you have any follow up questions, let me, let me know. Cause that, uh, that one can be kind of difficult. All right. Next question we got here, uh, from email was, uh, by Colby. All right. Colby says, my question may be a little unorthodox. I live in Memphis, Tennessee, which has become well known for its high crime rate. I'm interested in documentary and street style portraiture, similar to Estevan Oriel and Robert Frank. How would you approach someone in a dangerous area in order to capture them in their environment? Yeah, that is a tough question. Um, And unfortunately, unfortunately, there's no one size fits all answer. You know, that's very common in photography. There's no one size fits all answer. Um, and in this situation, it is because, you know, your environment's going to change. The situation's going to change. Um, and people are just always unpredictable. That said, um, I think 
you know, many photographers get into street photography and think that they need to have it all figured out, you know, when it comes to people before they go out and shoot, right? And that is just simply not the case. You know, you don't have to have an answer for every potential problem before you start, you know, so focus on maybe building your skills. Start by shooting, um, you know, wide shots where you're focused on just the light, maybe not people, but just light. And the reason that you would do that is to train your eye to to see the light for one, and then also to get comfortable with your camera before introducing the human element. Uh, I don't I don't remember where I saw this. I think it might have been some sort of like Fuji event or something. But um, uh, there was a there was a conversation between uh, Zach Arias, who's famous photographer, street photographer, lots of street street photos, commercial work as well. Um, and he was talking to another street photographer about a photo that uh, that that Zach had taken a couple. Um, it was it was of a couple who was sitting down on a park bench and they were looking right at him and they were very close to him. But, you know, the look on their face was not what is this guy doing? You know, it was much more, much more natural, much more candid, much more relaxed. And the other photographer asked asked him how he was able to capture that photo. And Zach said uh, he saw them. He knew that. It would make a good photo. They were in some good light. It was a good composition, you know, whatever. So he walked up towards them, like right in front of him, took his camera and pretended to take a photo of the tree, like directly behind them, like slightly above. Right. So they look at him and they thought, oh, he's just taking a photo of a tree. This guy's no threat. <laughs> and then Zach goes to take the photo or the camera away from his eye and then he naturally, you know, when you when you when you take a photo, it's up to your face. And then when you go to look at the photo, you you move the camera and you kind of point it down a little bit. And he pointed it down right at the couple and looked at the back screen as if he was just reviewing the photo of the tree that he took. And then he took a photo of the couple. So they thought that he was photographing the tree, but he was just using that as a as a ploy to, you know, catch them off guard so that he are not off guard, but to 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 lower their defenses so that he could take a photo of them, you know, and they didn't know a thing. And the other photographer who, you know, of course, right now I cannot remember, you know, who it was, uh, but they had been shooting street photography for decades, you know, and their jaw just dropped because they had never thought about that. So as you shoot, you know, as time goes on, you're you will always be learning and getting better at your craft. You know, that's it. That That's all that it is. You know, so just get out and start shooting uh and I promise you, you are going to figure it out along the way. All right. We have another voicemail. And this one is from Hannah Day. So Hannah says, let's see. Here we go. There are two ways to bring home more money with your photography business. You either get more clients or you spend less of the money that you make. CloudSpot Studio helps you keep more of what you earn. With the lowest payment processing fees in the industry, the average photographer will save $300 annually. And that's just more money to invest in essential gear like a new flash or a sweet camera bag. You know, one that is perfect for storing all of the wedding day snacks that you can pack. But it's not just about savings. CloudSpot Studio is designed to streamline your workflow. Easily organize shoots, send contracts, questionnaires, invoices, and you're really going to enjoy the hassle-free payments. So sign up for a free CloudSpot account at deliverphotos.com and... As a bonus, you're going to get access to my exclusive wedding and portrait contracts and questionnaires at no additional cost. Why let fees chip away at your profits? 
empower your photo journey with CloudSpot and watch your business soar. Hi, Raymond. This is Hannah. I love your podcast. Um, I was just wondering, I just started photography in October. It's now December. I mean, I've been taking pictures for a while, but I just started a little business, I guess. I've been doing a lot of free shoots, just building my portfolio, but also have done a few where I've started charging. Not a whole lot, but anyways, my first camera that I have is a crop sensor, the Canon EOS Mark M50 Mark II. I'm just wondering... I feel like a little bit of a fraud that I have a crop sensor camera and I'm charging people for their photo shoots. Are you supposed to have a full frame camera when you're charging people? Or is it okay that I'm doing this, charging small amounts with my crop sensor camera? Anyways, I just feel like I have imposter syndrome and I'm not sure if I should just invest in a full frame right now, even though I wanted to wait a little bit. But thank you. Oh, no, Hannah. Um, You know, uh, the photo police just heard that and they're going to come to your house right now and arrest you for for using a crop sensor camera and charging people. I I'm sorry that you said that on the podcast publicly, but uh, yeah, you're going to be locked up for a long time for doing that. No, 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 no. I look, I know that there's a lot of, you know, discussions online about full frame cameras and how much better they are than crop sensors and and how there's this magical quality to them. And and if how you shoot crop frame or well, you're just holding yourself back, you know, you'll never be a professional photographer and, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. And let me say that that might have been true, you know, 15 maybe even 10 years ago. But today, it is simply not true. There have been so many technological advancements in digital sensor technology over the past 10 years that we are now to the point to where the camera that you use and the sensor inside is more of a choice between, you know, either one, financial constraints, you know, you're just getting into photography, you want to keep it cheap, so you're not going to buy a full-frame camera. Or two, the subject matter that you shoot for your style of photography. You know, a crop sensor, I believe, has two advantages over a full-frame sensor. One, because of the crop factor, your 200 millimeter lens now has an effective reach of a 300 millimeter lens. That makes it great for things like wildlife photography, um, you know, birds where you're going to have to be a ways back. You know, lions don't want you very close to them, but you, you need that reach to be able to take a photo close up. And two, you know, because crop sensors are physically smaller, you can make a physically smaller camera. And maybe you don't know this, but I famously love shooting Fuji cameras. I've been shooting weddings with Fuji cameras since 2016, and for all intents and purposes, Fuji uses crop sensors. I sold my full-frame Canon 5D Mark III and bought, brought, I'm sorry, and I bought a crop frame Fuji X-T1 and then the X-Pro2 later. And I feel that because the cameras are smaller, I stand out less. So wedding guests and even couples feel way more comfortable around me and the camera, allowing me to to get physically closer and therefore allow me to get more compelling photos than I'm, than I'm what I would have been able to get with a full-frame camera, right? Um, and ever since 2016, when I started shooting Fuji, 90% of my couples, I would say that's a fair assessment, 90% of my couples 
have said that they have had a better experience because they were able to be less camera aware. They said that having a physically smaller camera made them more comfortable, right? And so that's 90% of couples saw it as a benefit. And exactly one person, one, has said anything that could even be considered negative. And it was a bride's uncle who, he was either a surgeon or, you know, something he 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 was well off right and he brought to this wedding a you know the canon 1dx mark ii with all of the top l series lenses and he was just a hobbyist you know he wasn't doing this professionally and yet his kit probably cost four five six times as much as mine you know but he believed that the camera made the photographer so the comments that he made you know they were passive aggressive but as we all know, it is moment that matters most. Moment. Not the size of your sensor. Moment. So don't feel like a fraud. And on the upgrade, if and when you're ready. You know? I think an, a, another question that, that we don't tend to ask ourselves as photographers is, well, were my clients happy with the photos? And if the answer is yes, then then there's nothing wrong with what it is that you're doing. If the answer is, well, yeah, they have told me that they wish that my photos weren't, you know, that they were, uh, you know, had a, had a better aesthetic to them or, you know, whatever it is. Well, then maybe, you know, they're very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, visually literate, right? But if that's not the case, if people don't say that, but if they get to your photos and they say, wow, that looks really good, then then you're not a fraud. You're delivering something to somebody that they are very happy with. And therefore, it's working for you. So I hope that helps. All right. Next question here we got from uh, Mark Roberts. Mark says, let's see. Uh, right now, I am taking better pictures on my iPhone than I am with my Nikon D7100. I haven't had all that long, so I'm not super proficient, but I'm wondering why I'm spending all this time and money trying to learn this Nikon. Maybe I just ought to shoot with the iPhone. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> now, I know I'll get to a better place. Please tell me that I will. And I can't put a zoom lens on an iPhone easily. So I'm staying with my Nikon for now, but sometimes it is discouraging. Oh, man. Mark, you are not alone, my friend. Many people feel that exact same way and ultimately sell their, you know, their cameras, their DSLRs, because using an iPhone is, and it is, much easier. Now, if you stick with it, you will, in fact, it, or photography, rather, will, in fact, get easier. And let me say that if, okay, L if you... Hold on, let me formulate my thought here. If if you are able to capture exactly what it is that you want right now with your phone, man, ditch the Nikon, honestly. Because photography is all about storytelling, right? The story of, you know, whether it's the story of, you know, how awesome of a birthday your child had, or if it's the story of how beautiful the light was coming through some trees, you know, whatever it is, it's all about storytelling. And if you can tell your story with the tool that you have right now, lean into it. Now that that's out of the way, I'm willing to bet that for whatever reason, you're not perfectly happy with the photos coming out of your iPhone. If that is the case, 
know that no matter how good you get with a DSLR, it will always be easier to shoot with an iPhone than a than a dedicated camera. But if a dedicated camera is the tool that you need to tell your story, then then that's what you got to do. So one, learn how to control your exposure, right? That is how bright or how dark your photo is. I shoot in manual mode because it gives me full control of my exposure. I find that when I know uh, how something works, I can best work with that and use it to my advantage. And that is exactly why I built my course, Auto to Amazing, around learning how to use your camera in manual mode to control your exposure. I made sure to fill the course with actual practice lessons where I shoot like with you, right? Because I know that this is challenging. I, I tell you my exact settings and then we review the photos and then, you know, we walk through how to know when to change what settings and why you would change those settings. That way, when you can control how your photo looks in camera, it makes editing easier and quicker. And that is typically the thing that makes, uh, you know, shooting on an iPhone easier. For one, there's no learning curve. You just press the one button and, and the photo's done. But then you can also share it immediately, right? With a with a dedicated camera, it's not, it's not that easy. You typically want to edit your photos a bit, right? And that's that, you know, barrier. That's that, you know, roadblock sometimes that is just a little bit too much for some people. And it's understandable. You're always going to have to be able to find a balance between is this an iPhone photo or is this, you know, a, a real camera photo? Um, but the quicker that you can edit, right, the quicker you can actually get back out and, and keep shooting. So, again, know your camera settings and start with exposure. That's all that you really need to focus on right now, right? Being able to capture the proper exposure for an image and then growing from there. But again, know that it will take some time and using an iPhone will always be easier but not necessarily better. So if you are interested, you can check out Auto to Amazing over at autotoamazing.com. All right. Next, we have a voicemail from Jim. Jim is a moderator, so uh, I'm kind of nervous about this one. We're going to see what he says. Let's see. All right, Jim. Hey, Raymond. It's Jim from Milwaukee. I got a couple questions for you. Number one, how do you foresee overcoming any obstacles going into your new role as a filmographer and not a photographer but a filmographer uh, and number two most importantly what is your favorite episode or interview from the last year and why was it me uh, to the bpp fam i love you guys keep doing what you're doing don't ever change bye all right jim well first of all love the uh love the quality of those android microphones over there um, now, since your community spotlight interview was in April of last year, unfortunately, you are out of the running, my friend. Uh, this, however, is not a it's, it's not a cop out, but I honestly, you know, I really take away something from each and every interview. Um, and I find that um, how do I say this? All all of the interviews have the same value to me. All right, because because I'm at a different point today than I was a while ago and where I will be in the future. So because I, I might hear something in this week's interview that I can apply to my photography right now, it might feel super valuable. But I also might hear something in this week's interview that I won't be able to use or apply to my photography for another two or three years. You know, I don't know. So. I look at everything as it has the same value. It's just how I use it. So 
I guess for that reason, I really don't have a favorite, you know, interview. But I will say that I do love these best of the year episodes that we do here in December, as it truly is like all of my favorite tips from the year packed into just one episode. And I find that so cool. So cool. Now, uh, what was the other question? Um, uh, what uh, what challenges I foresee in videography moving forward coming from photography. So for those who don't know, I uh, I recently left shooting weddings. You know, I I just didn't see myself as a as a, you know, 40, 50, 60 year old wedding photographer. I couldn't imagine myself retiring from videography. And while I'm not leaving photography in the least, I'm leaving the professional side to focus more on the personal side and kind of like my bucket list photo. So I'm really excited about that. But um, I also really want to get back into videography as a, as a profession, right? Because if I'm going to focus on photography as a, as a creative pursuit, as a, as a passion project, I still need to make money. <laughs> and that is going to be through videography. I recently took a job as a videographer, a full-time position that I'm super excited about. So um I will say the challenges that I foresee coming from photography. Well, I've already kind of discovered how rusty I am in videography because there are aspects that you just don't use or, you know, even have to think of, you know, when it comes to photography. Um, so shooting video in an MP4 fashion is like shooting in JPEG for photography. So you really have to be on your game and know your settings when shooting because you just don't have as much flexibility as shooting in or editing in, in, in raw. So otherwise, you know, you're really going to have one hell of a time editing everything together. So like last week, um, I was shooting, it was, it was a longer form video of somebody who was, this was crazy. They were telling the story of, um, their plane being shot down in world war two and, you know, spending almost a year in a, in a prisoner of war camp. Um, and that shoot took, um, about two hours, now the it took place in 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 um on a couch but next to the couch was a big sliding glass window and that sliding glass window was facing south so light was coming in that window I didn't notice it at the time but over the course of 2 hours the light had changed significantly from when we started the interview to the end of it, you know, but because again, it was so slow in real time. I, I, it wasn't even something that I noticed, you know, my eyes have not been trained to look for light and anticipating its movement because in photography, you want to capture it right in that moment. So it's just something that I never would have thought of in photography, but because it's video, it's going to be very difficult to edit together where I want to use a clip, say from the end of the interview, maybe towards the beginning, when the when the clip switches, you're going to be able to see that change in light. So, you know, it's it's just small things like that. But it really is just all a learning curve. And I know that I'll get there. I'm excited for it. But uh, yeah, it's just it's it's things like that. All right. Next question we got here is from Eric. All right, Eric. Eric says this one came in from email. Eric says, I just started doing photography just as a hobby about a Canon T7 bundle came with two lenses and I'm looking to get a nifty 50. I know they aren't that expensive, but I also like to save money. I am there with you, Eric. Uh, wondering what your thoughts are on a refurbished lens from Canon. Any advice you can give me would be greatly appreciated. The nifty 50 um, is a great lens, Eric. Honestly, the 50 millimeter 1.8 lens is hands down. I think the best lens, the best first lens to buy after 
your kit lenses, right? That large 1.8 aperture makes easy work of shooting in low light situations and being able to blur out the background. And for less than like 200 bucks, I really think that it is a must have. Now, if you are buying the lens refurbished through Canon, well, I would say that that's just as good as buying <laughs> new. So if you can find it refurbished and save some cash, don't hesitate. But going forward, you know, when it comes to buying a new lens, in the past, I have, you know, uh, maybe thought that I wanted a, a certain lens. And then as it turns out, I didn't. So uh, to save yourself the headache of spending several hundred, or in my case, $2,000 and realizing that you don't actually like the lens, I always recommend renting a lens before you buy it. So I use CameraLensRentals.com because for one, they're here local to me, but they also ship nationwide and they just have the best prices hands down. So if you're thinking about, you know, investing more in a lens, try to rent it before you actually buy it. It could save you literally thousands of dollars. All right. Next question. We got another voicemail. This uh, voicemail here comes from Will. Let's see. Will says. Hey, Raymond. I love the podcast and it has helped me so much in my photo journey. All right. My question to you is how can I narrow down the photography services I offer? I mainly do couples and seniors, but sometimes people ask me about events or concerts or even to video a wedding. I usually say yes because I need money as a broke college student, but how can I narrow down my focus so that I can master what I do? Yeah, Will. Uh, I get it, man. Uh, thanks for sending that in. It is a concern for many new photographers. Um, I remember when I was very new in my journey and I was starting out, I would, I literally said that I would shoot anybody who was willing to pay me, you know? Um, but as time goes on, I think you realize that you really need to hone uh, your focus so that you can get better at specific skills. You know, if you're shooting families, um, you know, having uh, the ability to uh, relate with and, you know, get kids excited is going to be really important. But if you photograph, you know, commercial work, you don't necessarily need that skill. So the more that you can focus on one thing, you can get better at a specific skill. Now, in the beginning, I mean, I really did it. I tried to do it all. You know, I, I did family photos. I did uh, maternity, uh, seniors, newborns, real estate, and of course, weddings, right? I shot them all because they paid. And even though I only really wanted to focus on weddings, so, you know, I had that choice to make, you know, when somebody asked me to shoot their retirement party, you know, whatever it was, you know, do I take it or no? Well, since I hated my day job and I also had a newborn at home, I would take literally whatever gig came my way for the money. But I made the conscious decision to not show any work outside of weddings on my website because that's that's what I wanted to do. And since my website was all about weddings, people you know, stopped contacting me about shooting other things. You know, they started to mainly inquire about weddings until I was shooting enough weddings to go full time. Now, of course, I would still get the occasional email about, you know, sh shooting a senior session or whatever. But now, since I was earning enough with weddings, I had the freedom to decide if I would take the gig or not. And I, you know, did still quite often uh, take gigs outside of weddings. We, um... We had a, a family friend whose uh, whose mom was she was dying of cancer. And so our family friend asked me to come over and take some photos of, you know, all of them, um, her, her mom and uh, her children. So 
the mom's grandchildren, right? And I was honored to be asked asked to do this, of course. So I did it. You know, even though it wasn't weddings, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm sorry, I only do weddings. I did it, and I did it to the best of my ability. I knew that I'm not, you know, the best family photographer or whatever, but I don't think that they were looking for the best family photographer. They literally, you know, were running out of time, and, and they knew that something was better than nothing, and because they felt comfortable with me, they they asked me to do it. So I did it to the best of my ability. But the thing was that after that, I didn't post those photos on my website or social media because that's not what I wanted to focus on. So take those gigs if you want to for the money. But if you have a focus that you want to focus on, <laughs> only put images from that on your website. Only share those images on social media. Because eventually, it's not just going to be family and friends contacting you for uh, gigs. It's going to be people who you don't know, who are inquiring about a business transaction. And if they see your you know, specific work, they're going to contact you for that. So I hope that helps, Will. All right. Next question here comes from uh, Eric. All right. Uh, this one comes in from email. Eric says, how do I market to potential clients? I'm surprised we haven't got to this one yet. I live in a small town of about 1,200 people in the southeast Minnesota. I think it's Minnesota. MN. It's got to be Minnesota, right? It's not Maine. Is it Michigan? No, that's MI. What's Maine? MI? No, that's Michigan. What's M? MN has got to be Minnesota. What is Maine? ME? Okay. Uh, I have, sorry. Uh, I live in southeast Minnesota, and I have had uh, trouble getting photography clients. I am 17 in high school, but I've already decided that I want to be a professional photographer for the rest of my life. I have tried posts on Facebook, Instagram, my website, and putting up posters, but nothing seems to be working. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. My second question is, how is the best way to learn Photoshop as I find I am using it more and more and would like to have a greater understanding of the software? Yeah, Eric, first of all, 17 in high school, already decided that you want to be a professional photographer. You are way ahead of, of where I was at 17 for sure. So, you know, uh, kudos to you. That is awesome. Um, yeah, this is a question. This is a good question. How do I market to potential clients? So I will say that there are several ways to do this, right? The first thing that you have to know about uh, being in business for yourself is you have to put yourself out there. And it sounds like you're doing that by, you know, making posts on Facebook, Instagram, and your website. But here's the thing. Facebook is a for-profit company that whenever you post something, it doesn't get shared with all of your followers. Typically, I find it is 1% to 2% of the people who actually follow me actually see my posts. Same with Instagram. All right? So let's say that you have 100 people following your Facebook page or Instagram. That means that one maybe two people are going to see your stuff, all right? Um, next is your website. That is wonderful. You should definitely be doing that. But how many people are actually coming to your website, right? If you're not shooting frequently and there's really no reason for somebody to come to your website except for to possibly hire you, first you got to figure out how are they going to get to your website, right? That is why focusing on SEO is so important. If you have any questions about SEO, I highly recommend that you check out my interviews with uh, Corey Potter from Fuel Your Photos. 
all about SEO. This dude is an expert and has given me tons of great ideas over the years that I've used and booked tons of shoots over. It's not about being on the front page. It's just being about answering people's questions, which he's all about. Again, check out those episodes. Great, great resources. Um, so it comes back to Facebook, Instagram website, right? So in all honesty, if you post something on all three of those spots, 10 people might see them. Now let's think about this for a moment, right? If 10 people see the, you know, that post, how many are going to be ready and actively looking for a photographer? It's going to be very few, right? There are uh, the, uh, is it three stages? Is it four stages of a client journey? There's a problem unaware, problem aware, solution unaware, and then solution aware, right? So when somebody is problem unaware, they don't even know what problem they have. So they're looking for answers to their questions. So this is why SEO is so important, right? Or writing a blog or or posting these sorts of things on your social media account. So this could be something like, you know, um, uh, there's one that I saw that was, uh, that I thought was genius. It was like, how, uh, uh, like displaying family photos around your house can make your kids feel more confident. It's like, oh, wow, that was a problem that I didn't even know that I had. And now I want to check this out. So then they become problem aware. All right. Well, you know, if if hanging photos makes my kids more confident, I, I need to hang photos. But now they're solution unaware. How do I hang more photos of our family? Well, that's, again, where you answer more questions in a separate blog post like um, – you know, the, the 13 best places around uh, southeast Maine, Michigan, <laughs> you know, uh, to take family photos. It's like, oh, perfect. <laughs> That's exactly what I needed to know. And they're going to see that you are a trusted source and they are going to hire you. But remember, OK, so I'm going to give you some like real analytics right now on my website. Each month, I probably get um, and I say probably because I don't know the exact number, but it's. It's pretty close to this. Um, 2,000 people coming to my photography website. All right. Each month, still to this day, I might get four inquiries. So f that's that's two people for every 1,000 people who come to my website. That's one person for every 500 people who come to my website. So I have to have 500 people to come to my website for one person to reach out to me. So if, if you think about, you know, your posts getting seen by, say, 10 people – now it just makes sense that, you know, people aren't actually reaching out to you. But the way that you get more traffic to your website, the way that you get more eyes on your post is to be helpful. You answer those questions that people have right now, prove that you are an expert so that when it is time for them to hire a photographer, they think about you. They come to you. You are going to be the person who they think of. Remember, photography is a service. It is not a product. And that means think about the long game. Okay, you are going to be building relationships with people. It is not, I'm going to post, hey, who wants to book a shoot for next Tuesday? I have a cancellation or something like that. I have an opening. Who wants it? Have price. That is not a sustainable way to, to build a business. You know, you really have to, the way that you build a business is by delivering the best service possible. So 
Step one, get in front of as many people as possible. You do that by answering questions, you know, go into local photography groups. You know, if anybody has a question, where do I shoot locally? What do I wear for this type of session? Does anybody know when the best time of day is to take these photos? Answer those questions. You'll be seen as the expert. This will also give you an idea of what questions are being asked. Then you post those on your blog, on your website, on your social channels. Then you become the expert to more people. They start following you. You post, hey, I got, uh, you know, a session available. Does anybody want it? Or I'm doing, um, you know, fall mini sessions, you know, whatever. Um, they're going to be more likely to to trust you to go ahead and book that session. But again, it's a long game. The majority of your followers follow you because maybe one day they will need your services, but they don't today. So don't be discouraged uh, that it's not working right now. Honestly, you are 17 years old. You're way ahead of where I was at 17 years old. It's it's going to take time. But I can tell that you are willing to put in the effort. So just keep working at it and you're going to do just fine. I will say I got a lot of the business info about photography that I now know today from the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with Andrew Helmich. He's been a guest on the show before. He is just the best dude ever. Andrew Helmich, Photo Biz X podcast check it out uh there's a free version there's also a paid version if if you start making money with your photography i highly recommend you that you just jump straight into the paid version because each week tons of amazing information so uh check that out because that is another resource for you so eric i hope that that helped you in minnesota (laughs) i really hope that's right and i don't know why i'm having such a hard time with that all right. Last question we got here is from Miguel. Let's see. Where is it? Miguel says, here we go. Let's see. Why isn't it loading? Hold on. Let me refresh this page real quick. And Miguel says. This is Miguel uh, sending you a message from uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, just to congratulate you on your podcast. Really enjoyed uh, listening of your process going through the wedding, it was really, really, really insightful. So I appreciate you taking the time to doing that. And I'm also a solo photographer. So uh, it reminded me a lot of a wedding that I did a couple months ago for a family uh, friend. And I'm looking forward to uh, keep doing more weddings. So uh, we're on a cross path because now you're leaving uh, photography in uh, in terms of weddings, and I'm thinking about going into weddings. And this uh, podcast really helped me uh, look at, at it in a more practical way. So, thank you a lot. Uh, wish you the best of luck on your on your new job being a videographer. That's what I started doing doing videography for uh, events of the salsa music scene in Puerto Rico. So I really enjoyed uh, your podcast being great. So keep it up. I'm going to keep listening to all the wonderful interviews that you do for for other photographers. The one that you did for uh, even uh, Naka was really good because I follow him on, on, on social media and it was really refreshing to listening to his voice and getting all his feedback. So, Wow, Miguel, <laughs> first of all, uh, I would kill for an accent like yours, be able to roll my R's like that. Oh, man. So cool. 
uh, I would be able to say my name so awesomely, but instead it just just all kind of sounds like mashed potatoes. It's gross. So, um, yeah, Miguel, man, thank you for uh, for sending that in. I really appreciate that. You know, these uh, these voicemails, as we see, they can be used for more than just asking a question. You know, you can uh, leave the show some feedback. Let me know something, you know, that you went through at a recent recent shoot. Uh, but Miguel, you know, I wish you all the best of luck in weddings. It really is you know the one of the only types of photography where you are given 8 or 10 un or 12 <laughs> uninterrupted hours of photography practice and therefore it is so easy to see just extreme growth in your photography so quickly uh, i know that you're going to do great and uh, feel free to reach out anytime if you have any more questions so uh, again miguel really appreciate it and i'm happy to help in uh, in any way that i can now, uh, to everybody else, wasn't this fun? See, I told you this was going to be a great time. I thought it was a blast, and I hope that you did, too. Uh, remember, these are, you know, this is going to be a regular part of the BPP listening experience, these Q&A episodes. So if you have any questions that you want answered here on the show... Once again, it is super easy to submit your questions for the next month's Q&A episode. Just head over to the contact tab at beginnerphotographypodcast.com to send me your question. And remember, voicemails are going to get top priority over emails. That is it for this week. Again, remember, the more that you shoot today, the better of a photographer you will be tomorrow and for the rest of the year. All right. Talk to you soon.